We turn our Bibles to Judges chapter 9 today. I uh, had a wonderful time yesterday at the men's sporting clay shoot. We had about 20 or 30 guys that came out, had a chance to shoot the shotguns for a little while in the morning, hear the gospel, and have a good lunch together. So my arm's a little sore, so if I'm not pounding the pulpit this morning, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, glad to be with you this morning. I want us to recall from the end of chapter 8, if you look back at these last three verses, 33, 34, and 35, that Gideon had 70 sons, he had many wives, and then from, through, with a concubine from Shechem, he had a son named Abimelech. And today's story is about Abimelech. We're going to witness his rise and his fall. Gideon, who was also called Drubbabel, never asked to be king, yet God raised him to lead as a judge. But in a backward twist of arrogance, Gideon, who said he wouldn't be king, names his son Abimelech, which means, my father is king. So Gideon wasn't so bashful, after all, of his position, as he said that he wouldn't be king, but then took all the spoils and the riches and the money as a king would do over a conquered nation. And he starts to function as a king, so much that he says, I'm not a king, but I'm going to name my son. My father is king. Ironically, Gideon does not finish well, and neither will Abimelech, nor any future judge to come. The people asked Gideon to rule, and Yahweh supported him as a judge to deliver the people. But we will see, in contrast, Abimelech will seize his leadership, take it for his own, and will not be supported by Yahweh. We'll witness that rise and fall, and we'll start in chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see that kingdom building does not come down by tearing others down. Abimelech ruthlessly murders almost all of his brothers so he can claim kingship. Once the first six verses are over, we'll move on to the next set of verses where the one brother that does survive will read these curses from a fable. This one surviving brother will call out Abimelech and what he's done wrong, as well as the people who put him into power. And at the end, we'll see some poetic retribution, some divine justice, justice that will take place. After the fable has been told, we'll learn about Gideon's years of, or Abimelech's years of reign over Israel that whole time. And we're going to learn that the true king is not at war. Because the true king, our God and Savior, did not put him into power. And then by the end of the chapter, we will see the little end of Abimelech. As we see kingdom building for yourself does not work out. It did not work out for Abimelech, and it will not work out for us today. If you'll stand with me, we'll read Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 sons of Jerubbabel would rule over you, or that one would rule over you? Remember also, I am bone and your, your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on behalf of the ears, in the, the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. And their hearts turned and were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, 
which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. Verse 5, and he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together at Beth Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak at the pillar of Shechem. You may be seated. We're so glad that our children can be joining us this morning as they do over the summer. And the lesson sermon title today is Kingdom Building for Yourself. And if you want to write down, you can write this down. When kingdom building is done for yourself, it ends up in nothing but a mess. When we kingdom build for ourselves, it ends up being nothing but a mess. Abimelech rises to power by ruthlessly, ruthlessly killing all of his children or his brothers, along with some of these worthless and reckless fellows who were sort of hired or provided to him as a sign-on bonus to Abimelech. And you'll notice from the text here that the money comes from the house of Baal Berith. And we talked about Baal Berith as last week was this warrior deity god that they all started to worship. So the money came both from the god and from the temple, both with the same name that's there in Shechem. So the murders are being paid for by the god and the god's temple. Excavations of Shechem today would show it as a large fortress that was built around 1600 BC, and it operated for almost 500 years as a place of economic and social and religious life. So similar to many other Near Eastern cities, this would be the place where people would bring the monies for their vows, their sacrificial offerings, gifts, or place, the place where you would put penalties for things that you've done wrong. So the leaders of Shechem would have access to this temple and access to all the monies, and now they use that money to help put this king into power by helping him with the money kill a bunch of his brothers. Abimelech comes into power through this ruthless act. Let's, let's look through it all. Verse 1, Abimelech seeks to conspire here with the leaders of Shechem for this nefarious plan. The leaders here are worried about lineage and legacy, so this is why there's the mention of the mother and the mother's clan, the mother's tribe. She's from Shechem, and so her son, who is also uh, from her line and lineage now, would be one that would follow after Gideon, but that they could convince to do things wrongly. So what better way to guarantee the future of these people than through a conspiracy? Abimelech suggests that his brothers could get out of the way, we can kill them, and that he alone could be king. And the men of Shechem like this idea because they're thinking over in the corner, hey, 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 I think we can trick this guy and get him to kill all his family. We'll get him to do all the dirty work, and then we'll be able to control him like we're the puppet masters. Verse 2 here, in comparison to the good that Gideon had done for Israel, Abimelech offers his own interpretation of what good is convincing them what would be better, and then convincing them to fund the murder of these 70 sons of Gideon. Verses 3, or three and 4, we note that this undertaking is not sanctioned by Yahweh. God is not in support of this. There's no mention of that. But Baal, the God, and the Canaanites, and this squadron of assassins, they're the ones that are going to help him follow out this plan. So then Abimelech comes the representative of Baalism. He's the representative of this warrior, small g, little god, and goes and kills all his siblings. 
If you'll remember, we see that God's kingdom building through Gideon was built up as he tore down the altars of Baal, and now Abimelech tears down others to lift himself up. Perhaps we get caught in a cycle of tearing down others in order to seek the building of our own kingdom. Verse 5 here, we see that Abimelech is craving status and honor and position. He's willing to commit multiple homicides to show that he'll do anything to be in control. And one after another, the victims of his half-brothers are led to slaughter. I say half-brothers here because Gideon had many wives, right? And he is the only one from this mother from Shechem. So lots of women, half-brothers nevertheless. He has no respect for lineage, no respect for, la- for family, no respect for clan. It's inconceivable to think that he's now lining up his 70 brothers here one by one by one and killing them on the same s- sacrificial stone again and again and again. Except one escapes. Jotham will then bring this speech or this fable in the next section. It's neat here if we look at chapter 6 or verse 6 here, the same Hebrew root word, the language the Bible was written in here, shows Abimelech's fascination with wanting to be king. And the writer does a little play on words here. So when we, if we remember, Abimelech means my father is king. And so it's translated here in English for us, they went and made Abimelech king. Well, that's literally translated as they kinged my father, the king, the king. He's obsessed to rule and to judge in his own power. And they came together at Beth Milo, which is just a big flat place where they made decisions, a big platform, and they made him the king. They kinged my father, the king, king. So here in Judges, we have the first of what we'll call an anti-judge, one who puts himself into power, not called or anointed by God, who seeks to build his own kingdom. A proper king should have been put into place, and the true king, our God and Savior, should have been the one who did that. However, God's work is not complete, and we have this one son who's escaped, and his name is Jotham, and we're going to read about him in this next section. Starting in chapter seven, or verse 7, <clears throat> for a few verses here, we're going to see that Jotham is going to speak an indictment against his half-brother Abimelech, and then speak against the leaders of Shechem. Jotham's name means Yahweh, the Lord, is perfect and blameless, whereas Abimelech's name means my father is king. So <clears throat> our son is named Gideon. So maybe we should name our next son, or he should name his son Jotham, and carry on the biblical tradition here. These are some really interesting names, so you expectant moms, if you're looking for names for new babies, there's all kinds of names here in the Bible. Maybe we don't want to pick some of them. Jotham's fable here is designed to show the ridiculousness of choosing Abimelech. He shouldn't be king. They didn't treat Gideon right. They're not going to treat Abimelech right. It's not going to work out. And then God is going to give everybody what they deserve, and they're all going to be destroyed by fire. Let me read verse 7 real quick. When it was told to Jotham, that is what has just happened, the killing of all his brothers and Abimelech coming to power, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Mount Gerizim here is the same mountain 
that Moses commanded from and the people proclaimed the blessing of the covenant in Joshua chapter 8. Mount Gerizim was named the Mount of Blessing. And now this son comes and sends out curses from the Mount of Blessing. You see the play on words here that is being brought about through the text. Jotham is saying that what you seek is not what you should. Abimelech is not the guy for the job. There is a better judge to come. So he's on top of Mount Gerizim here, verse 7, and we're going to read 8 through 21. The first few verses here are the story, the fable that he's telling, and we'll explain it in a few minutes. Verse 8, the trees once went out to anoint a king over them. It's like a children's Bible story. The trees went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, will you reign over us? And the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which the gods and men are honored to go and sway hold over the rest of the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave the sweetness, my sweetness and my good fruit to go and hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you, you come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men to go hold sway over the trees? And then all the trees say to the bramble, and this is where I need like a, a bad guy voice, right? All the trees say to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble says to them, if in good faith you're anointing me as your king, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So we'll come back around and explain that in a little bit. Jotham's still on top of Mount Gerizim. He continues to talk. Verse 16. Now therefore, if you had acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you had dealt well with Derubbabel and his house, and had done to him to, to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hands of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem. And he is your relative. And, you have act, and if you had acted in good faith and integrity when Jerubbabel with his whole house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, which they're not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let <clears throat> fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Here we have a description and a story, and then a description of what's really happening. First, he starts talking about these trees. The trees are the leaders of Shechem. There are several choices that the trees could have made to choose somebody as king. So here's three kings in a story that, that would have been good leaders in the story, which were the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine. They eventually ask the bramble. These first three types of trees were reasonable types of rulers or trees in the stories that they would have asked for. The olive tree in verse 9, 10, 11, the fig, 12 and 13, the vines for they were all valuable producers in the culture. In the fable here, you would imagine the olive tree would have brought resources for cooking and medicine and fuel, things for perfumes and anointing oils. The fig tree, it had the staple fruit of the land. It also held position in local economy. The, the fig tree was very important. 
Even the vine produced the principal beverage in every home, as well as having a variety of religious and secular uses. These all produced with excellence, but each pass on becoming king, perhaps because they'd have to leave where they're leading and what they're doing to go serve elsewhere. So if you look at verse 14 here, the trees all gather up together and they respond, well, let's go ask the bramble. So we get to verse 15, we see this bramble. This is the least expected one that they would choose to read, to lead for understandable reasons. But it is asked and it accepts, and this is where its evil sounding condition came in. Verse 15, the bramble says, if you acted in good faith, which you didn't because you're asking the brambles to lead over you, then come take refuge in my shade. But if you're going to play games with me, then I'm going to play games with you. And fire will come out of me and burn down everything you cherish, such as the cedars of Lebanon. And we'll talk about those both figuratively and literally here in the story to come. The cedars of Lebanon here are being threatened. That's That's the leaders of Shechem. These prideful Baal worshipers of Shechem are being threatened with a promising fire and sure, blistering destruction. This is a picture of what if they choose Abimelech to lead, what will happen and what his rule will result in. Jotham's saying, why would you pick Abimelech? He's the worst ones to choose. He just killed all of my brothers. He just did all these nefarious things. Or as in the fable, why would you pick the bramble? You're picking this nasty thorn bush that plagues farmers and will, spoil alert to the rest of the story, you'll have to wage war against the bramble as its thorns encroach closer and closer to all the beautiful gardens and landscaping that you worked all weekend so hard to get ready. This thorn bush, the bramble, is the worst choice. It produces nothing of valuable value. It's not good for timber. And just imagine with me, it's one of two things. Either this bramble is this thorny-like, carpet-like growth that swallows up everything in its path, or it's this species of buckthorn tree that actually grows to be about 30 feet tall, full with nasty, horrible spikes and thorns. Either way, on the first hand, it's an absurd invitation to offer shade as the ground brambles that cling to the ground or the side of the tree would offer no real shade, or it's this later buckthorn tree whose branches are armed with spikes and spines. You know, when I think of grandpa's old willow tree out in the field that you and your loved one go and have picnics under in the warm summer sun and you feel the shade from the willow tree, I don't imagine the guy asking, hey honey, let's go hang out by the thorn bush not a comfortable place to take a nap. Either way here, Jotham's point is being graphically made. The bramble is Abimelech and offers no real security to the men of Shechem and would bring apart about destruction. Both the bramble and the thorn tree, if they caught on fire with the immense wind that could come, a wild summer fire could happen, it would travel far across the land and it would threaten both the literal cedars of Lebanon, and these leaders here. So Jotham ends his fable, which was very self-evident, and he begins to speak plainly with a historical view here in verses 16 to 21. And we read it before. 
The leaders are shamefully treated, they shamefully treated his father and now the rest of his family, and now they're seeking to do this mean thing with Abimelech. Jotham announces there will either be mutual honorable relationships or mutual destruction. In verse 16, we see him slip in some of God's qualifications for leadership with things like good faith and integrity, things like truth and goodness, which are all measurements of the divine standard. Gideon had done well and good, but as I mentioned when we started, Abimelech is introducing his own definition of what good ought to be. And his good is him being in charge. This redefinition of terms is something that's very dangerous in our culture today. As our society seeks to change the standards of what is good versus we should look at our Bible to let it show us what a divine standard of good ought to be. Jotham says to the leaders of Shechem, they shouldn't do this and they didn't deal with Gideon and truth and integrity and you're going to destroy one another for what you're doing here. But know in verse 17 that it says, my father, he says. And again, verse 18, my father. And in verse 19, with Jerubbabel, my father, who is Gideon. Even, even Jotham here is only making a moral argument against the leaders. You didn't treat my family well. You've rejected my family. His curse here is issued merely in defense of his family and of Gideon, not in defense of God, the true king, who is the kingmaker. So go back to chapter 8 and look at verse 34. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Israel and the people did not deal with God in faith and integrity. Not so much Gideon. Divine justice will come. Everyone will die here in the end. And you'll see here that Jotham's not even focused on God. He's just focused on himself and others. In verse 20, we'll learn that fire will come out of Shechem and in Abimelech. And in verse 21, Jotham flees to Beir, a common word for a dry, empty well, just a place for him to go and escape. It's not a specific identified site. And this leads us to the third section here uh, of verses 22 to 55. And it's a long section, and I'm going to try to read it all for us here. But what we want to know is that the true king is not at war. Keep that in the back of your mind. Over these next three years, all the things that that Abimelech is going to do, the Lord is not the one that's in control. And if I can read 22 and 23 real quick... Abimelech ruled over the leader Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. I want to talk about this evil spirit here for a second. If you remember every judge that we've came upon so far, the Lord laid the spirit of the Lord upon him for good. Now God is allowing this evil spirit to, become, to come between them. And we see a rise of an evil power because of this evil spirit. And this evil spirit can be likened that to what came upon Paul or Saul as an evil spirit in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I want us to be very careful to think of the removing of the spirit. How would the spirit be removed? And we shouldn't think of it as sort of an exorcism or something that we would see in a cartoon where this evil spirit leaves somebody, but only that God who lays upon this evil spirit in his timing and in his method 
when his people turned back to him, would he remove the evil spirit? This is often why we see evil spirits so often in uh, countries where the gospel has not yet gone, because God is void there, and we should seek to bring the gospel there. It's best understood to understand this evil spirit as the consequences of poor choices. Bad choices lead to evil spirits. When God is rejected and God is torn up, nations are destroyed, families are destroyed, because they're all in sin, and only by inviting God back in would the spirit be removed. First Peter chapter 5 talks about the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. Because of our choices and the evil, evil spirits we may follow, just like the men of Shechem who are lawless and want their own kingdom and own power to be built up, we may face that same thing today. Let us read through this long section, the downfall of Abimelech, 23 and on. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come, and their blood be laid upon Abimelech their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men into ambush against him or on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed, passed them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech, and Gal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out to the field and gathered grapes from their vineyards, and they trod them and held a festival, and they went into the house of their gods and ate and drank, and they reviled Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who's Abimelech? Who are we, the men of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Drubbabel, and is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamar, the, the, uh, the father of Shechem. That's who Gal is. Why should we serve him? Verse 29. Would that this people were under my hand, he says, that I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard this, and the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun comes up, rise early, rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with you come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds you to do. So, verse 34, Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night, set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gal saw the people, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. Zebel said to him, No, you've mistaken the shadow of the mountains for men. Verse 37, Gal spoke and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land now, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebel said to him, Where's your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, and we should serve him? Are these not the people who you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gal went out at, at the head of the le- out ahead, and Gal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded upon the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebel drove out Gal and his relatives, so they could not dwell at Shechem. 
Verse 42, on the following day, the people went out into the field and Abimelech was told and he took his people and divided them into three companies, set ambush in the fields and he looked and saw the people coming out of the city and he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the, and, the, and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them as well. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city, killed all the people who were in it, raised the city, and sowed it with salt. And when the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the stronghold of the ta- house of el Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered there. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, and he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood, took it up and laid it on his shoulder, said to the men who were with him, what you've seen me do, hurry up and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women." Verse 50, then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and and captured it. But there was a stronghold tower within the city and all the men and the women and the leaders of, of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it again with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. What a great story, huh? And then he called quickly to the young man and his armor bearer and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And this young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his own home. The rise and fall of Abimelech. If we go back to verse 23, all of a sudden, Abimelech is starting to be dealt with treacherously by the leaders of Shechem. Why? Because this evil spirit is at work and at play. Their alliance is breaking down, verse 24. Violence that was done to the sons of Gideon, which Abimelech, Abimelech killed. Perhaps they're still thinking about all these things. They're worried and frightened. And just as Abimelech kills his brothers, back in verse 3, you might recall that the leaders of Shechem called Abimelech their brother, and they're going to seek to do the same thing to him. Verse 25, the leaders of Shechem seek to hurt Abimelech with the cut of a thousand, or the death of a thousand paper cuts. The men of Shechem are going to start to ambush all the people that are moving within the cities here, because Abimelech is the one who would have got money from the caravans that were going about. So now they're trying to seek to hurt him. And taking advantage of all the instability, we get introduced to a new character, Verse 26 here, we meet Gaul. He makes his way to Shechem with his relatives to win some trust and to turn them against Abimelech. Again, how quickly alliances are changing. Verse 27, evil will be repaid with evil. And Gaul and the leaders uh, worship the Baal gods. They revile Gideon. They curse him. And under the influence of two spirits, both the vines fermented spirit and this evil spirit, they will seek to do harm to him. He's slick-talking here, this gal. He's trying to get them to turn against Abimelech. Who's Abimelech? We're men of Shechem. Why should we serve him? Isn't he the one 
that's from Gideon's son, they're purposely failing to point out that it was Abimelech's mother who at the beginning of the story was the reason why they chose Abimelech in the first place because they were trying to uh, have this legacy and this lineage stay strong. And they even speak of this man named Zebel. Who is Zebel, his officer? Zebel is now getting caught in the middle of this crossfire and he doesn't like it. Gal says, serve under me. I'm a descendant of Hammer, a son of Shechem, back to lineage, not Abimelech, the son of this horrible woman. Gal says in Judges 9, verse, or, yeah, verse 29, he says, would that the people were under, would that the, this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your armies and come out. Zebel hears all this. He doesn't like it. So he's going to send word secretly to, to Abimelech. Abimelech heeds his officer's advice. He goes and tries to fight against this coup, sets up these four companies, and he's going to prepare for, for some ambushing of his own. During the ambush here, it's kind of funny. Gal thinks that he's seen men come down from the mountain. And Zebel, with the perfect poker face, says, No, nah, it's just some shadows. Don't worry about it. Go back to bed. It's not a problem. Soon the gig is up. The camouflage is gone. Verse 38 and Zebel throws Gal's word back at him, saying, weren't you the one that was mouthing off against Abimelech, saying what you could do? So Abimelech goes out into battle, unprepared, before all of his leaders. He doesn't have his defenses set up. He hastily moves forward to his demise. Abimelech drives him out and the leaders out, but Abimelech is not satisfied. He wants more blood, he wants more killing, that brings us to verses 42 to 45. Remember this Abimelech, the king to my father is king. He's so eager for kingdom building that he abandons all rational thought and he seeks to destroy everyone in the city, no matter who they are, whether or not they even questioned him. Verse 42 says the next day the people had gone back out to the fields to work, maybe thinking that, well, Gaul's gone, this insurrection, this coup's over. No. Gideon goes out and he butchers them all. Verse 45, he attacks the city, murders the people within the city, raises, it with salt, raises the city and sows it with salt. This raising uh, the city and sowing it with salt is often thought of of making a land infertile by putting all this salt into where the crops were going to go. Uh, interestingly enough, this uh, sowing with salt is a, is a Baalism curse here. And it's better thought of not of trying to make the land unfertile, but when you go and destroy a land, leaving huge chunks of salt, so when the next people come and see it, they know there was something that was really bad that was done in that area. But we see sowing the salt used throughout Scripture, Deuteronomy 27, Psalm 107, Jeremiah 17. Uh, we even have uh, ancient Aramaic stones that talk about the sowing with salt and leaving these giant hunks of salt to show that a city... Uh, uh, should be laid barren and be a warning sign to anybody else that comes. This is still not enough for Abimelech. Now to verses 46 to 49. The leaders enter the stronghold outside of the city. Uh, it's not within the city or he would have already destroyed it. It's outside the city in verse 46. Abimelech learns about this in 47. He crafts this cunning plan in verse 48 to go and kill these quote-unquote men who called him their brother. Oh, how evil repays evil. 
When I was taking notes here, I imagined all the, the people of Shechem, the leaders, coming into this stronghold. So for you Lord of the Rings fan, I was thinking of Helm's Deep here. This massive stronghold uh, waiting this final battle. Abimelech pulls out a trick play. He has some war tactics that obviously Shechem hadn't heard about before. So he collects bundles of sticks and so of all of his men, verse 49, storms the stronghold, sets the bundles of sticks on fire, and its intense heat reaches those inside and kills a thousand people. Killed in the temple of their gods, just as Jotham's fable had said. Fire came out of the bramble and consumed the cedars of Lebanon. All these leaders were killed. The city that Abimelech had wanted to rule over and be king over, it's barren now. He's destroyed it. It's nonsense. He's killed his true brothers early on. Now he kills his brothers in arms. And anyone who dares to get in his way, he's going to kill them too. So when rage indwells a man and evil spirits, spirits accompany him, there is no end to its violence. His appetite is still not done for violence. He's paranoid, so he goes to the one final town, 10 miles north, northeast. He goes to Thebes. They must have been a part of the rebellion, or he's just violent with, with anger here. He attacks them uh, in hopes of killing everyone that's in his path. So verses 50 to 55, the next people here that are going to be battled against, they heard of his trick plays. They're not going to let the same tactics be used against them. So we have this wise woman who had been prepared for battle, uh, and she, uh, I'm not to the last section yet, this wise woman, she prepares with this upper millstone. It's this three-inch thick, round, 18-inch round, heavy stone that would grind uh, grain. She throws it off, and she smashes him in the head with it. Here, here Abimelech is on the ground. His head is smashed, and yet he still is outraged, and he wants to be euthanized because he doesn't want to be known as being killed by a woman. Well, the funny thing is, is nobody even remembers how Gideon really dies. They only remember the millstone lady. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 21 says, Who killed Abimelech, the son of Gideon? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? They speak of the woman, not the technical way that he died, which was his armor bearer took his sword at his request and killed him in an act of euthanasia. This pattern of war is just horrible. When you want to uh, kingdom build for yourself, everything around you will collapse. So history moving forward here, men learned in battle, don't go up too close to a, to a wall and a fortress or you're probably going to get something thrown down upon your head. If we did probe back deeper into Jotham's fable, we may ask, why was Abimelech not consumed by fire? Why did he instead die by the stone and the sword? <clears throat> the first city, the men of Shechem, he did destroy with fire. And a real close study of the original languages shows that the author put a play of words on the word fire, men, and then this woman. And so there, it is in a way that he's killed by fire because of what that he did with this woman. In English terms, his plan backfired. Okay? It didn't work out for him. And this leads him to wanting to be killed by a man and not a woman. He still is just twisted in his mind. Uh, in wartime, to be killed by a woman was really disrespectful, so instead he'd rather die 
of his armor bearer's hand. He wasn't the first man to die at the hands of a woman. We saw uh, uh, J.L. kill Sisera with the tent peg just a few chapters ago. So with Abimelech gone, the men are all going to scatter. Verses 56 and 57, uh, we could ask, where is God now? Is God absent? God shall not be opposed, and we'll read that in a fable foretold. So 56 and 57, let me read that for us. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made the evil spirit of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Drubbabel. We see this really interesting thing happen here, that every other story in Judges, the oppressor came from the outside in. They came in to attack Israel and the people and the leaders. Now, the evil one comes from within, not from the outside. And we will see that through the rest of Judges here. Gideon, or Abimelech here is this anti-judge, and rather than delivering Israel, he installs himself as a tyrant leader and dies. The, almost the instant that he dies, the men return as if God removed this evil spirit and they woke up from some sort of a nightmarish dream. They put their weapons down, they stop their assault, and they return. But on the heads of, of the men of Shechem stays this cursed, curse, and that they will uh, have to live with this death and destruction all around them. Their city is destroyed, people are all dead. They're going to have to face their punishment here. So in the midst of all this, Gideon didn't win. Bimelech didn't win. The leaders of Shechem didn't win. Jotham didn't win. The millstone lady didn't win. Game over, no one wins. Well, notice at the end of this battle, there's no mention of a time of rest. The last rest for the land of Israel was at the end of Gideon's reign. In fact, no one in Judges, the land will never rest again. The enemy is internal now, and the foes will come from within, and that will preclude any rest. So we have the fulfillment of Jotham's cursed fable here, and and its parallels can be drawn. God repays evil for evil for Abimelech and for the leaders of Shechem. Abimelech was not the true king. In the end, everyone got what they deserved, and what they deserved was no one winning. So who won in this chapter? No one. So it makes us ask, where is the hope now? When we kingdom build for ourselves, it's nothing but a mess. It brings things like family division, evil spirits, conspiracy, and many other horrible things. Jesus Christ, however, brings hope. He rights every wrong and asks us to cast aside our lives and follow him, for he's died on the cross to pay a price that, for our sin that we could not pay. Some practical applications for you to take with you today. On the first section here, there's a good lesson regarding choosing leadership. We see how the men of Shechem did that in verses 1 through 6. We should prayerfully ask God for help in our decision-making. Often we're too impressed by worldly qualities that we see in others, and we're not impressed by the qualities that God deems important. God does not award leadership by popularity, by intelligence, by sense of humor, but he seeks to put faithful men into leadership who hold to his truths, who raise their family uprightly, 
are patient and are self-controlled, honestly, the marks of any Christian. First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. God does not want our picture of what a modern-day cultural influencer should be, should act, or should sound like, and put that person into leadership. Choosing leaders for the wrong reasons and for the wrong qualities is never right. We should pursue men and women who want to serve and be in leadership, who are seeking to be worshipers, maturing in Christ, rooted in Scripture, growing in Christ, and making disciples. In what way does God equip leaders, and in what way is God calling you to serve today? In the second section here, we learned about the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine. Perhaps we're tempted at times when we're called to lead to not want to lead. Perhaps we don't want to leave our place of safety and security. So what things are we holding so dear that we neglect to attach ourselves to the church, to Christ, for growth and maturity? Perhaps it's our next steps in obedience through baptism, through church membership that we should consider. Make the choice today, accept the call in your life for Christ, and to live within the context of the local church. And when we have a platform to speak like Jotham did on Mount Gerizim, may the Holy Spirit behoove us to speak of God and his truths and not just what bad has happened to us and our family. The third section, we learned that the true king was not at war. The leaders of Shechem didn't win. Gal didn't win. Nobody won. In between verses uh, 34 in chapter 8 and verse 6 in chapter 10, God isn't mentioned by his true name, Yahweh the Lord, at all. God was pushed out of the picture. When God is pushed out of the picture, things like euthanasia, asking to be killed, becomes a reasonable sounding alternative to our end. But when we do that, we do nothing but invite others into our peril and put our trust in men and not in God. Do we treat God the same way when we have an enemy to conquer? Do we push him away and then accuse him for being absent? Or do we need to recognize that we truly have pushed him away? Remember that bad things happen when God gets pushed away. There was idle money that was used to, to fund a massacre. Abimelech kills everyone that opposes him. This evil spirit overwhelms everyone. Crime and bloodshed is on everyone's hand, and God repays wickedness with evil. God may be silent, but he is not absent. God acts in judgment, Maybe not a lightning bolt from heaven, but justice will be served. Paul puts it well in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then the last section here, God is the only one who wins in the narrative. His retribution is just for all the disaster, the destruction, and the death. God in his judgment will use rebellion against those who, has, who have rebelled. If we are in rebellion to God, what is the way out? How can we be set free? It is only through Christ Jesus. Alone, he is the answer who brings hope. He writes every wrong and asks us to cast our life aside just as he has. Put your trust in him today. Say, dear Lord, I trust in the sacrifice that you have paid for me, the sins I have committed, and I seek eternal life through you, through your kingdom building. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. This is a lesson here from the book of Judges that we've seen what doing right in our own eyes will profit. Seek not the building of your own kingdom, but the kingdom of God and the one who has raised him from the dead and brings forgiveness of sin. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a true king. Lord, we're saddened to hear of stories like Gideon and Abimelech. Lord, men who have rejected you. Lord, may we not reject the cross in which your son paid the ultimate price. May we ask you to be our Lord and Heavenly Father. May you be the one whose kingdom is built, not our own. We thank you for it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.